right, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Jake Podcast. This is episode 90. Jake 90. Wow. It's been a while. Been a while since the since the beginning of this podcast. Um, that would be April of 2017. 90 episodes. We had 12 mini episodes. This is it's pretty cool. Gotta do something really special for the 100th, which I guess will come. I don't know, sometime in like February, March. So going to do a really cool, you know, fun episode there. But I've been having a lot of fun doing this and so happy that you guys find it entertaining enough to keep coming back for more. Uh, last week did a did a Browns Central episode and that's not for everybody. I know that, you know that. Um, sometimes I panic when I talk about the Browns, I rant, I rave. Some of you aren't even football fans or Browns fans, so not exactly your cup of tea, but this episode, we're going complete opposite. We're doing a straight up entertainment episode, all movies, and frankly, we've got a lot to get to. Uh, there's been a lot of watchable things recently, whether it's TV or movies, so uh, gonna get into a lot. Not gonna be one minute movie reviews. Not not restricting myself to one minute because these have been some really good films. Uh, really excited to get into some of them, and uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave it to like one minute. So uh, anyway, we'll get into that in a little bit. First off, some big news: got the Golden Globes nominations are in now. Uh, the Screen Actors Guild noms are in as well. Still a little ways away from the Oscar noms, but Golden Globes is in. This one, uh, you know, somewhat big, combines TV and movies. It's, um, you know, it it has this reputation of being like, oh, every, it's a big party and everyone's just drunk. I think, and this is my theory, maybe it's bold, maybe it's not, but I think everyone there plays it up that they're drunker than they actually are. I don't think it's that fun. I don't think it's as fun as people make you want to believe it. I don't think they're drinking as much as they make you want to believe. I think it's just kind of like, a, oh, look how great we are type thing. And look, oh, look how much fun we're having. Kind of like a staged like photo shoot uh, that you'll see like girls do on Instagram and stuff. That's just my theory. A little theory about, you know, the Globes and, and, and it's not exactly everything they try to pump it up to be. Uh, I do think that when Ricky Gervais hosts, he... Um, Maybe he gets a little drunk because he really does dig in and he doesn't hold bars. So uh, so maybe maybe he does. Because uh, I, I love when he hosts because he doesn't hold back. He, he doesn't really care. So he, I think he should do it every year. But uh, regardless, the noms are in. Uh, there were some not-so-big surprises, some boring choices. But to me, the biggest surprises were the omissions, uh, who they left out. Now... Not saying who should be nominated or who shouldn't be nominated because there's a lot of things I haven't checked out. So, you know, for me to say that Fleabag shouldn't be nominated, I've never seen an episode, so I'm not going to say that. Um, but I did, however, dive into what wasn't nominated. And to me, it's the end of an era. And usually I feel like, and maybe this is more the Emmys and maybe less the Globes, but they love to send people out on top, right? They love to say like, oh, you know, like they, they've never won one. So we really want to get them like, you know, like one Golden Globe or like, oh, they're such a historic character. We need to really like dig in there. So, but to me, we had a couple seasons ending 
Silicon Valley, which never gets any nomination, so I wasn't surprised about that. Not season's ending, series ending. I'm sorry. Um, so Silicon Valley, nothing, whatever. Veep. Veep didn't get anything after um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is constantly winning this award for Best Actress. So to me, for Veep to not get one in the final season, a little bit of a surprise. And obviously the big one is Game of Thrones, where... Yes, it's been super criticized, very heavily criticized uh, finale, final season, but it got one nomination, and that's uh, Kit Harrington. Now, maybe it got other nominations for smaller things, but when it comes to the Golden Globes nominees, the big ones, only got one, Kit Harrington for Best Actor, and to be honest, like, uh, I don't even know if he deserved it, you know, when in TV... They don't uh, break it down like comedy and drama like they do in movie for the Globes. So there was only five nominees for Best Actor in a TV series. And for him to get a nominee, I was like, that that doesn't even feel right. So, But I was really surprised that Game of Thrones didn't get more love just because of what it's been, how big it was. And, you know, to me, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe... Instead of, you know, like pumping up these shows that have ended, maybe get people into the new shows. Veep didn't get noms, but Barry did, and Barry's a great, hilarious show. Uh, Game of Thrones got one nom, whereas Secession kind of took over. And uh, as the guys at Lights Camera pointed out, Secession is now getting the love you see on the HBO ads. Like before Watchmen episodes, they pump up Secession, who's not even in season right now. So... Uh, and it doesn't even have a season on the horizon. It's not until like next fall. So uh, I, I kind of like that. I dig that they're going into their new stuff. HBO's got so much good, so much good stuff. Um, they didn't get a Watchmen nomination, which was kind of surprising because that show's been great so far. Um, I'm not caught up. I'm about five or six episodes in, so I'm, I'm a couple episodes behind on Watchmen. But wow, that show is is uh, intense. It's powerful. Uh, I don't like how many times an episode ends and they answer one question, but now you have two more new ones. So I, I don't love that about the show because I'm like, listen, I want to be caught up on everything. I want to understand what's going on, but they are tying a lot of things together. I think it's a very good bingeable show because it would be driving me nuts going from week to week. And uh, I've done that to myself way too many times. Um, right now, I'm also watching Mandalorian. Uh, got a, I'm going to watch Chapter 6 tonight on that. That's been pretty good so far. Uh, you know, there's no B-plot. It's it's just straight up following, like, it's like Adventures of the Mandalorian is what it should be calling because it's really just an every episode is a brand new adventure for this guy and we learn a little bit more about his background, which I like. I like this a lot. I like that Star Wars doesn't need to make everything about the Skywalker saga, which is ending next week when the new Star Wars comes out. But I just really like that they can show other entities. It's a whole galaxy. They should be doing so many other things. And I think we're going to see that from Disney in the future. I'd, I'd love to see what their new plan is going to be. But uh, for now, this is pretty good so far. I've liked this. And uh, I everyone loves the Baby Yoda. I don't, I don't really care about Baby Yoda as much. I like the Mandalorian character. I think Pedro Pascal's great. And... Uh, I'd just like to see them expand a little bit on this universe and kind of uh, make get a whole thing going. That'd be really cool because this has been a good show so far. And the Disney Plus purchase uh, has been very worth it because 
in between watching Mandalorian, I've watched a couple of the old Star Wars movies. Uh, I watched uh, Rogue One. Got a little bit of um, Avengers in there too. It's been uh, been been worth it. Been worth it. And even you know what you know at, right now, everyone it's like deciding what is your premium package or streaming package uh, like channels. Which ones are you going for? Like if you can't have them all, which I get, you know. But we have Hulu. Uh, we have Hulu TV. Sam and I. So like that's our base uh, TV package. So we have Hulu. She has Amazon. I have Netflix. So we cover ourselves there. We got Disney Plus. And then she just got a new phone, which means we get a free year of Apple TV Plus. So pretty cool that we're getting a lot of different things. And we're going to have a lot to watch on that, too. I'm going to be excited to cover some of those shows. Um, you know, The Morning Show, C, uh, I think the one calls For All Mankind. That's the like alternate uh, universe where if Russia got to the uh, the moon first. And uh, I think there's a couple other ones that I'm missing, but uh, that'll be exciting to to get into that because I didn't, I had no plans, no plans to get into what you call it, um, Apple TV Plus until Sam got the got the new phone. And when we're there, I asked him like, "Hey, can we get Apple TV Plus like cheaper?" And they're like, "You can get a year free." And I was like, "Sweet, glad I asked." So pretty cool. Uh, lots to watch. I feel like January, February is gonna be a great catching up on what shows to watch. Um, I think that's going to be, you know, that's the time to do it because you're, you know, bored out of your mind with not being able to do anything else and football's ending and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, but let's get to the Globes noms, right? Okay. Best motion picture drama. You got 1917, which is, I'm, I'm super pumped to see that. I'm going to watch that like Christmas week. Irishman, which we're going to review on this episode of the podcast of the Jake, uh, Great movie, and can't wait to get into that one. Uh, Joker, I've reviewed, gave it a 92. Marriage Story, we are also reviewing that on this episode of The Jake. Again, going to be a high grade, loved it. And then The Two Popes, didn't see it, haven't seen it, kind of surprised it's in there. But again, this is the Globes where you have 10 nominees, 5 drama, 5 comedy, so you know, that doesn't really matter as much. It's, I, I don't think the two popes will get a, um, uh, Oscar nom. And then the other side of things, the musical or comedies, you got Dolomite is my name, which we are also reviewing on this podcast. That's why this is a big episode. We have three nominated films already. Jojo Rabbit, again, my second favorite movie of the year. And so far my highest graded movie of the year. So far, so stay tuned to see what it, if it, it holds up. Knives Out, again, another movie we are reviewing today on the podcast. Knives Out was phenomenal. Loved that. Has a chance to be my number one movie. We'll see how it stacks up with Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, and The Irishman. But a great nominated film. I was a big fan of this one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, we knew it would get here. The Love Letter to Hollywood. This was... Tarantino's kind of like, I don't know, Oscar grab type movie. Uh, I didn't love this. We know that. We've had, Sam and I had a long discussion on this movie, but again, you know, that's that was in the past. That was from a couple months ago. So I um, thought it was good. I didn't think it was nearly as good as everyone says. And Rocket Man, the final motion picture or of musical or comedy that was nominated. I was so happy to see that because I thought Rocket Man was a lot better 
than Bohemian Rhapsody, and uh, I'm glad that it's getting some praise. Yeah, best directors, you had uh, Bong Joon-ho from Parasite. Still got to see Parasite. Not gonna, not sure how I'm going to see that, but I got to. Sam Mendes for 1917, Todd Phillips for Joker, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not a lot of surprises because these were the movies that people are saying are amazing. Best performance by an actress. We got Cynthia Erivo from Harriet. Did not see. ScarJo from Marriage Story. Going to get into that. Sarsha Ronan for Little Women. That comes out in two weeks. And Sarsha Ronan, I mean, I think she's uh, she'll be getting credit for one of the best actresses in Hollywood, if not number one. Charlize for uh, Bombshell. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I take it or leave it. I I, I don't. I, I haven't seen it yet. Probably gonna see it. And uh, I think Charlize Theron's a great actress. But right now, the amount of people that are pumping her up because she looks and sounds like Megyn Kelly. I'm like, all right, well, it, you know, they kind of look alike. So let's not freak out. And then Renee Zellweger for Judy, which is getting a lot of pub. And then for the musical or comedy side of things, you got. Anna de Armas for Knives Out. We'll get into Anna de Armas later. Aquafina for The Farewell, which I heard was good. Would like to check that out. Kate Blanchett for Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Forgot about that movie this year, but Kate Blanchett's great. Beanie Feldstein, which is literally Jonah Hill's sister and the Jonah Hill character from uh, Booksmart. Uh, I thought she was great, and we bought, we gave Booksmart a high grade, too, this year. One of the top ones from the year. And then Emma Thompson from Late Night. Heard it was pretty good. Whatever. Um, then we got a supporting actress, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. That came out tonight. Uh, Annette Benning for The Report. Haven't seen it. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Going to get into that. J-Lo for Hustlers. Uh, you've heard my thoughts on that. And then, you know, that she was good, but not... Oscar nom good, so we'll see if she gets the Oscar nom. She got the Golden Globe nom, but whatever. And then Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Again, Margot Robbie, pretty good actress. Um, we'll see how Bombshell does, uh, and if it's just a headline name, but you know, we'll see. Okay, so um, that was the actress side of things. Then you got the best performance by an actor. Christian Bale, Ford Ferrari. I can't wait to see that. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Um, maybe tomorrow night. I don't know. Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Haven't heard about it until the nominations, so a little surprised. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. He was awesome. We'll get into that. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. As we've already said, he was amazing and probably should be the front runner. And then Jonathan Price, the two popes. Two popes getting a second nom. Not like you might have to check this out. I think it's a Netflix movie. So um, Netflix got in on the noms. Did a pretty good job this year, so we'll see how they do going forward. And then we got the other side of things, the musical or comedy. Daniel Craig for Knives Out. I thought Daniel Craig was really good, and I like him as an actor. I think he does so much better as non-James Bond. You know, he's done now four, coming up on five James Bond movies when this April will be, I think, his last. He says it's his last. They've made a deal so that it would be his last, but... Um, It'll be his fifth James Bond movie, and every time I see him outside of James Bond, I think he's better. I don't know. We'll get into Knives Out later. Uh, Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit. He was the kid, Jojo. I thought he was great. I thought, you know, for a little kid that had to carry this movie, he did a really good job, and good for him getting the uh, nom. Leo for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood should be the front runner. Uh, could be his second win. 
uh, wouldn't be surprised, and uh, it would be well-deserved. Uh, if he goes, or well, that's if he gets the Oscar nom. If he goes up against Joaquin Phoenix, would love to see the two of them take home the Globes and then go up against each other for the Oscar. And then you got Taron Egerton for Rocket Man. I was happy to see him get nominated again for the same reasons I said with Bohemian Rhapsody. And then finally, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is my name. I really hope he gets the Oscar nomination. Um, that'd be really cool. I, I liked this movie, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, with the actors, I, I, you know what? Was surprised to not see Adam Sandler after all the talk about Uncut Gems, another movie that came out this weekend. Uh, all of a sudden, after seeing so many movies, I thought I cleared out, and I had nothing to see when I when uh, I had a free night last night to go through the movies. But A, I had to, I couldn't go see Ford Ferrari because Sam and I were going to see that together. But now that Uncut Gems is out and 1917 is coming out soon, I'm, I'm now getting backed up with movies I want to see. Okay, so moving on to supporting actor, you got Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Great. You know what? I thought he would get the pity nom as being like, oh, he's Tom Hanks. He's playing uh, Mr. Rogers. This is, I didn't realize he was the supporting actor. And that it's about this documentarian and that he's the supporter. I'm like, oh, this is so clutch. Way to go, Tom Hanks. He'll scoop in and get the Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actor and probably win that too. Uh, you also got another two popes. They're, they're going for the clean sweep of nominations. They got Anthony Hopkins for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Irishman racked up two with Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. De Niro did not get nominated, but the movie did itself. Scorsese did, and then Pacino and Pesci both got nominated. Um, I think those are right, by the way. I think they nailed it on the nominations for Irishman. Because I thought De Niro was good, but not like Oscar-worthy good. I thought Pacino was excellent. I thought Joe Pesci was really good playing a different character instead of the bombastic, like, f hot fuse. Uh, he played a very, like, slower and, like, um, calculated character. Very good movie, and uh, he did great. And then finally, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time. Uh, yeah, no, I thought he was good. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to get the Oscar nom because I think uh, I think they're just missing out on a couple. I would I, I would have really rather seen Sam Rockwell here for Jojo Rabbit, and I wouldn't be surprised if you get a Marvel push for Avengers just to get a nominee. Uh, I think that'd be really hard, but you're gonna you're gonna possibly see a, a a Marvel push because it just it made the most you know money of any movie ever. So why not? Okay, and then when it comes to you know you got the score, you've got original song, you've got screenplay. So um, you know there's plenty of noms, but overall in the movie category, I was pretty happy with the way things went down. I have to check out the two popes. You know that's the one that. They had three nominees, and I haven't seen it yet. Um, and also, I want to check out uh, Judy because it, it sounds like Renee Zellweger might win, and I've seen the other actresses go, so I'd like to see this one. But uh, in terms of – so let's get to TV because uh, I like the nominees in movies, right? I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. But in TV, I'm a little all over the place. So best television series for a drama – you got Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, The Morning Show, and Succession. Wow. Um, <laughs> let's just say 
I watch, okay, I've watched three of those, and I'm going to watch The Morning Show. The only one I didn't watch is Killing Eve. Um, I agree with Succession. I think that's great. I think it deserves to be up there. But in terms of dramas, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of over the crown a little bit. I know it's done really well. So I'm like, okay, maybe that could be the fifth nominee. But I don't know Killing Eve, and I don't know The Morning Show. But, but I didn't agree with Big Little Lies being up there either. So we'll see. And I'm just going to say that the Jake nominees for the end of the year are going to look a little different. <clears throat> then you got the best t uh, television of comedy or musical. Barry, Fleabag, Kaminsky Method, Marvelous Miss Maisel, and The Politician. What? Who is watching The Kaminsky Method and The Politician? I get Marvelous Miss Maisel. I think that's a funny show. I've seen it before. Um, and I've heard a lot about Fleabag. I got to check it out. Love Barry. Barry deserves to be up there. But, I mean, Kaminsky Method, politician, what, what's happening here? Netflix getting some nice noms, so good job. Congratulations. But, you know, this is where I'm a little surprised. Veep didn't get one, and they're going with two Netflix shows that nobody watches. It's just a little surprising. Uh, and, and in terms of, you know, the movies and the shows that I've had my eye on this year and I've wanted to, like... You know, I'm going to be giving awards out to. I thought The Boys was a great comedy. You know, and if you want to put that as a drama, sure. But I think that could easily be in here for best comedy. And that'd be an Amazon one. You could slip that in here, get a little bit of variety. Um, just uh, seems like a whiff uh, on on the musical or comedy side of best TV show. Uh, and then you had the uh, the limited series. Uh, look, the only one I, you know, checked out was Chernobyl, and that was unbelievable. Uh, I hope that wins a lot of awards because Chernobyl was fantastic. Okay, so then for TV, also you don't have, um, uh, you you only have the one supporting. So keep that in mind when we go into this. Um, but the best performance by an actress in a drama, you had. Jen Aniston for The Morning Show, Nicole Kidman for Big Little Lies, Reese Witherspoon for The Morning Show, not Big Little Lies, Jodie Comer for Killing Eve, and Olivia Coleman for The Crown. Uh, boy. Boy, oh boy. Uh, enough with the Big Little Lies pumping up. It's not that good of a show. It's really not. The, the actresses just know how to stare and stand and look at nothing for a long time. Uh, they're good actresses, but they're really like, I, I, I don't know. I don't think the show, I think the show is getting pumped up a little too much. And now I have to see the morning show because it just got two nominees for best performance by an actress. Have to check out the morning show. Um, best performance by an actress in a musical or comedy. Yeah, Christina Applegate in Dead to Me. I think that's deserving. I thought Dead to Me was pretty funny and I thought she was great. Rachel Brosnahan for Marvelous Miss Maisel. She's good in every season. This doesn't change. Kristen Dunst for On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Uh, I've heard about this show, and I thought, wow, that's what Kristen or Kirsten Dunst is up to these days. But it's apparently pretty good, so I, I want to check this out now. Natasha Leone for Russian Doll. Uh, again, Natasha Leone, you know her from uh, being like the, um, the friend of Tara Reid in uh, American Pie. She's also in... The final, or, you know, every season of Once Upon a, or Once Upon a Time, ooh, Orange is the New Black, uh, which that ended too and didn't get any nominees. And then Phoebe Waller-Bridge for Fleabag, which, 
apparently she's the uh, the go-to, and I got to check this show out because everybody talks about it. Okay. And then you got Best Performance by an Actress in a Series, and, you know, again, I didn't see any of those series, so I don't really know where to go. Uh, but then you got the Supporting Actress, which is, they, they only have one for all of them, and, uh, you know, so that's either a limited series, motion picture made for TV, drama, comedy, whatever. <clears throat> Patricia Arquette for The Act, Helena Bonham Carter for The Crown, Tony Collette for Unbelievable, Meryl Streep for Big Little Lies, blah, and Emily Watson for Chernobyl. I mean, look, I know that there's not a, like, you know, it's just frustrating to see Meryl Streep keep getting it for, like, she just, like, these performances aren't that great. Maybe it's because she's had such a high bar for a, a while now that I'm like, okay, these crap roles like Into the Woods and The Post and now Big Little Lies, like, this is nothing. This is so beneath her, and yet she still keeps getting nominated. It's it's like kind of it's kind of super frustrating to see that. And I, I wish that they would, you know, I don't know, like go some other direction, maybe give the nomination somewhere else because it's like they're only giving it to her because of her name. Yeah, so that's just how I feel. Okay, then you got the uh, actor side of things. Best performed by an actor in a drama. Brian Cox for Succession. Kit Harington for Game of Thrones. Remy Malek for Robot. Uh, Tobias Menzies for The Crown. And Billy Porter for Pose. I only watched two of those shows, Kit Harington and Brian Cox. Uh, love the Brian Cox nomination. Thought Jeremy Strong should have got in there, even over Kit Harrington. Um, so Jeremy Strong for Succession, I thought would have been a great ad, uh, having two lead actors there. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it, it's Kit Harrington. It's the final season of Game of Thrones. They we're gonna get something, right? But I think they, uh, I don't know. I mean, Remy Malek for Mr. Robot. I don't watch that show. He has to be great because he always gets nominated for it. And, you know, he won the Oscar for last year for Best Actor. I just, uh, I don't know. I see a lot of these new shows coming up and a lot of great performances. And, uh, I, I, you know, the, it's still The Crown. I've never heard of Pose. And I want to find out who Billy Porter is because the fact that he's one of five for the drama side of things is wild. Um, but going to comedy, you've got Paul Rudd for Living With Yourself. Love Paul Rudd. Can't wait to check out this show now. Uh, Ben Platt for The Politician. Also never heard of. Bill Hader for, uh, for Barry. Great choice because Barry's great and Bill Hader's great. And Rami Youssef for Rami. Never heard of it until the nominations. And then Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method. Again, my big question here is who's watching these things? Uh, but love Barry. Hopefully he wins. So, and then for best uh, supporting actor uh, or best actor in a limited series. I'm sorry, Sam Rockwell for Foss Verdon's getting a lot of love, but Jared Harris for Chernobyl. He was incredible, and I don't even care about the other nominees, which include Sasha Baron Cohen and Russell Crowe. So, but then best supporting actor um, in any of those. You have Alan Arkin for the Kaminsky Method. You have Kieran Culkin for Succession. You have Andrew Scott for uh, Fleabag. Stellan Skargersgard for Chernobyl. And Henry Winkler for Barry. That's a loaded, loaded um, uh, category. You know, Kieran Culkin for Succession is great. 
Stellan Skarsgård was awesome in Chernobyl, and Henry Winkler is already one for Barry. So those three right off the bat I thought were great choices, and I thought you could have even gone into like different direction. Not saying the boys or like Mandalorian, but I feel like you know if you're covering all these shows, you know Steve Carell got a nom in the SAGs for Best Supporting Actor, and uh, it seems like he's just playing himself. But uh, anyway, those are the Globes noms. Uh, it's exciting. The TV ones kind of floored me a little bit just with uh, who they left out. But uh, the movie ones I'm very excited about because we're going to talk about a lot of them right now. So uh, so why not just get right to it? Actually, you know what? Before we get into the movie reviews, I do want to say uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, I know it's the Christmas season. I didn't talk to anybody at Thanksgiving, uh, which was great this year. I think it was my favorite Thanksgiving of all. Not think. I, I know. It was my favorite Thanksgiving I've ever had. Uh, this was a uh, trial year, to say the least. We, uh, Me and my girlfriend were trying to fit both Thanksgivings in and successfully did so. We started with Sam's family uh, visiting her brother's place in Freehold. And they served a great meal. I had a lot of food there. I, I you know, I told my my parents that I was going to leave them room, and I did. But uh, boy, this Thanksgiving was a lot of eating, and uh, it just felt really great to be involved in both families' Thanksgivings. And I think everyone really appreciated it, which was nice because, you know, this is the first year that both Sam's family and my family had to share their kid at Thanksgiving, and. Uh, Never before have we ever missed, you know, a family Thanksgiving. And this year it was going to be like, hey, listen, something's got to give. And, you know, uh, Sam's family was very cool with us leaving early to go uh, spend the rest of Thanksgiving with my family. So that was really great of them to be, you know, that understanding. And my family was very understanding that they moved Thanksgiving to surround my schedule. And that is something I'm never going to forget because I really appreciate it. You know, we always did the early Thanksgiving but my mom, you know, pointed out to me, she goes, Jake, you know, we've always centered it around other people, whether it was like my cousins who uh, had to go up north to see like their other half of the family, or it was just like my grandparents wanted to be early or whoever it was for, we've always centered it around other people and we've just made it work with, with you know, the volunteering at lunch break. Then we'd go to either, you know, Long Branch at my Aunt Janice's or, or in Wall or Spring Lake Heights to my grandparents. And then we uh, would go to my Uncle Tim's afterwards. We we changed it this year so that I could do Thanksgiving and with my family. And I really appreciate their angle and you know being able to set it up late for us. And it was great. It's my favorite Thanksgiving ever because I got to spend it with so many people. And uh, I, I'm truly blessed. Truly blessed for that. And I hope everyone had a, a great Thanksgiving. Um, and, and I hope you have a great Christmas season too. I got a little bit more Christmas shopping to get done. Uh, not quite there yet, not quite where I want to be, and uh, but I'm excited, uh, you know, for Christmas season as well. I love doing some good gift giving, you know, love love getting good gifts out there and 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 seeing people smile when you get them for Christmas. Uh, it's gonna be another busy Christmas season too because you know, trying to fit in everything with both Sam's side and my side, and you know, we're, we're doing a little pre-Christmas brunch at at uh, for Sam's family, which is gonna be great, and then gonna do. You know, my sister's birthday, we're going to do that. We're going to do Christmas Eve at my grandparents. 
all the fun stuff. It's it's gonna be gonna be a lot uh, this Christmas season. But this is what you know this is what you like, you know, because then it's a couple months of nothingness. So uh, you you really want to enjoy Christmas season while you can. Another thing was you know for a gift for my mom was to go see a Broadway show, and it was Ain't Too Proud, which is the story of the Temptations, and man that was great. It was. It was so close to being like my favorite musical. It's it wasn't quite Jersey Boys or uh, Carol King's uh, Beautiful, but it was right there, and uh, I loved it. The music was awesome. The fan interaction was f- terrible. People behind us were like talking or singing really loudly the whole time to a point where it's like you have to say something because they're being way too loud. And maybe that's the olds, you know, the olds not knowing how to really like properly speak softly, um, you know, at a theater with a lot of other people. But it was it was frustrating. It was annoying. And uh, it took away from a really great show, but still enjoyed it. Still had a great time. And uh, I would suggest it to anyone that wants to see a good musical. uh, Ain't Too Proud by, uh, you know, The Temptations. Really good one. And it's right up there. Definitely in my top five. Uh, I would say firmly in the three four range, so that was great. And then obviously the big thing this you know is is the movies though. So uh, you know there was actually a series about the movies that made us, and it got me in the mood to watch Home Alone again and uh, Die Hard again. A couple Christmas movies, depending upon how you look at Die Hard, but also Dirty Dancing and Ghostbusters, and it goes into all the you know backstage things like how they had to shoot certain scenes, how they got certain actors, a lot of really cool behind-the-scenes type stuff that if you have Netflix, you have to check out uh, the movies that made us, especially the first episode. Everyone talks about the Home Alone thing because they didn't shoot it inside the house, which that's not crazy. Like They do that all the time for these things. Uh, and everyone wants to talk about you know the big action stunts of Die Hard, but the, the, the Dirty Dancing episode is something else, learning about... How they almost didn't cast, you know, Patrick Swayze, and instead almost cast Billy Zane, and then Sarah Jessica Parker instead of um, uh, Gray. Uh, thank you. Um, it was wild. It's a really good show, and you should definitely check it out. So just for everyone. But okay, all right. Enough with that. Let's go into the OMMRs, which aren't really OMMRs today. We're just doing movie reviews. We'll start off with a couple of my lesser, uh, lesser ones. Okay. I've got nine for you today, guys. Nine movie reviews. Excited to get into all of them because I have pretty solid grades on all of them. Uh, I'm deciding, should I start with the lowest grade and work my way up? Or should I do it like chronologically because I have a couple old movies in here? Um, I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I'm gonna start with a couple of the old ones. Actually, it's it's a wild order, so... Let's start off with The Kingsman. Watch The Kingsman last night. Uh, this is a little nostalgia review. I love The Kingsman, and my girlfriend Sam had not seen it. So I said, you know what? You've seen a little bit of two, so why not let's go see one? Uh, they've got the third one coming out next year, and I'm really excited. I have a whole list of the top 20 movies I'm looking forward to in 2020. That's going to be on next week's Christmas episode. But for now, let's just go into the original Kingsman movie. Starring Taron Egerton, the recently Golden Globe nominated Taron Egerton, who I thought was great. I had never seen him in anything before this, and really outside of this and Rocketman, I don't 
I can't like tell you what else he's been in. He's kind of just been like this role for me. I thought he was he's great in this movie where it's about a secret spy organization that hides behind this uh, tailor. You know, it's like a, they they appear as though it's like the James Bond of tailors. British humor, very funny movie. Uh, it, it's got like kid actors or not kid actors, but like young twenties who uh, carry the movie well. But the stunts and fight choreography is what makes this movie. There's a scene where Colin Firth basically kills a church full of people of like angry racists in the South, and they play it over Freebird, and it's almost a continuous shot, which is incredible. And I know they probably use some like stunts and CGI and things like that, but. It is so cool, and it's one of the better fight scenes I've seen out there. Uh, the plot also like pretty cool. It's like these uh, chips that make people go crazy, and enough of them are out there in the world that they affect and almost have like a radius, and then the radius basically covers all land everywhere. Uh, Sam Jackson is the villain in this movie. Uh, he gives out all these chips and he's known as this like philanthropist, but in reality, he's just trying to take over the world, which, you know, classic move. They give him a lisp. I don't know why. I don't know why he needs a lisp in this movie. Uh, I kind of have a theory that he just showed up on set and was like, fuck it. I'm doing a lisp. I don't care. I've done so many movies where I have the same damn voice. I want to have a lisp in this one. And, uh, and he was actually pretty good in it. They had a couple scenes with him and Colin Firth go back and forth and kind of say, like, this isn't your typical James Bond movie. This isn't the typical, like, oh, I, I you know, you say a funny line and then I give you enough time to escape type thing. Because they straight up kill Colin Firth. You know, spoiler alert. Uh, and uh, the I thought that was really cool. I thought, like, they took a different angle. They had a couple good guys posing or bad guys posing as good guys. And... All while they have this major threat going on, it's also like a tryout type movie, almost like a origin story of how this kid became a Kingsman and uh, who he had to battle to become, you know, the Kingsman and stuff. So really cool movie. Um, I think uh, I, I I don't have many complaints about it. It's high up there for me. I give it an eighty-eight. Uh, where I'd like to see it is. Some of the CGI is a little messy, like you can tell it's fake people, and uh, and you know I just uh, it, like that. That's really it. Is just some of that because I thought the fight choreography is great. I think the story is really cool, and uh, in terms of like action spy stuff, it has a little bit of the corniness, a little bit of the cheesiness, but it's not too much. Um, so I deduct a couple little points for that because. You know, it, but I think it's supposed to be corny and cheesy. I'm still going to deduct points, but still. So 88, I feel like that's a pretty fair grade for the Kingsman. It does exactly what you want it to do. And uh, yeah, I'm happy with it. So, all right, movie number one is down. Now, movie number two, another nostalgia review, Snowpiercer. I've wanted to see Snowpiercer for a while. Uh, it's always been on my list. I didn't know what it was about, but I just heard it was really good. It is a very different movie, and and part of the reason I wanted to see it was because the Parasite director, who you know apparently has the movie of the year, directed Snowpiercer, and the plot of Snowpiercer is very strange. So, uh, you know, to fight global warming, the government released this 
thing called CR7 that was going to cool down the Earth. Meanwhile, this uh, engineer knew that this was going to take over the world and basically freeze the world. So he built a train and railroad that was self-sustaining and could basically, you know, carry the lives of, I don't know, they, I forget how many people they go into, but something like 17,000 lives or something in this extremely long train. Uh, maybe 17,000, maybe it's a lot, maybe it was 1,700, I don't know. Um, that was a detail I missed. But he was right, CR7 or whatever it was called, took over the world, froze the whole world, and killed everything that was outside. And on the train, you have the back of the train, which is basically you know, wall-to-wall people, and you have no room, you have no privacy, you're eating these protein bars, which is basically like gelatin, and we find out is bugs just rolled up and mashed up and rolled in there because they just feed them bugs. They're treated like livestock, uh, and they eventually revolt against uh, the upper class and the upper, like, high society that live on the train, and they have to travel through the carts to get to the front. Chris Evans stars in it. He's really good. I, I like him as like the leader. He has a very emotional scene where he explains that he like knows what children taste like. It's a disgusting scene, but it, it he does some really great acting in it. And uh, I'm like you know speechless watching the movie. And I think uh, I think it's really good. Uh, there are some scenes that are very choppy. I'm still trying to understand what, like, you know, how everything plays out. They, they are not afraid to kill off some good characters and a lot of characters die in this one. And eventually Chris Evans and his team of like misfits get to the front of the train. You see that like they pass through an aquarium, they pass through like a greenhouse, they pass through, you know, where they have the freezer with all this food. Still has me having a lot of questions about how logistically all of this works, that they just have cows and, tr- and and chicken and you know for basically 17 years, because that was the other thing. They've been on the train for 17 years driving around. I'm like, how do you have that much food? You know, how do you have that much stuff in there? Regardless. And they finally get to the front of the train and they find out Bruce Greenwood, uh, or n- not Bruce Greenwood. I always do this. They don't even look that much alike. It's not Bruce Greenwood, but, you know, Bruce Greenwood, who, you know, he was like the president in National Treasure 2, and I just, for some reason, I always mix him up, you know, with Ed Harris, and I love Ed Harris. I think Ed Harris is a great actor. I know the difference between the two of them. Oh, my God, they're both in National Treasure 2. That's so crazy. (laughs) Bruce Greenwood, the president in National Treasure 2. Ed, Ed Harris, the villain in National Treasure 2. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Okay, so uh, they're both in National Treasure 2, but Ed Harris is in this movie. He plays the train conductor, the guy who made this train. Uh, it was a very cool twist at the end where you know one of the good guys that was basically the mentor of Chris Evans turned out to be a bad guy, and or, or not a bad guy, but in on it the whole time. And uh, Chris Evans and his group of people end up blowing up the train um, because they're like, you know what? They have a theory that you can actually live outside of the train because of the melting snow and things you've seen and and like all these things they see outside that they, they pick up on these trends. They're like, 
I think you can live out there. Um, it's a it's a messed up movie. It definitely has some like rooted society stuff in there on what things, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know. It seems like it's a political statement at times, but I thought the movie was really good. I thought the acting was okay. I thought some of it was like overacting parts, some really like interesting scenes, but it just always seemed like, it just seems like there are too many questions about these scenes for me to give it a 90. So I'm giving it an 86. I thought, uh, I thought Chris Evans was great. I thought the story was really cool. I would have liked them to just go in different directions at some points because I feel like they made it a little too complicated for themselves. But Snowpiercer, really good movie. 80. Ugh. Man, it's so hard to give this a lower grade than Kingsman because they're both. But, you know, if Kingsman's 88, this is an 86. I'm okay with that. I, I can live with those grades. Okay, next up is The King. Woof. <laughs> I'm laughing because I saw the previews for The King and it looked so good. But this movie was fucking boring as hell. And like the acting's good. You had Ben Mendo and Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson who are good actors. But this movie dragged. And, it, you know, it's good because I haven't had a bad movie grade in quite some time. And I know part of that is because I want I go and see movies I want to see. And that's usually going to lead you to good grades if you know you want to see it. But this one, big waste of time. Big snooze fest. Um, I, thought the, I thought the acting was good. But it's just like period pieces from this are always so slow. The music wasn't all that good. And there was way too many just silent scenes. Um... I felt very disinterested. It's a beautifully shot movie. Uh, and I'm sure they're accurate on all of their descriptions of King Henry and, and all that. But I can't even tell you what like the plot was. He's like fighting France because his dad had a war with France. And and he doesn't want to have a war with France. But he does anyway. Uh, because, you know, he like, I don't know, back then it's like you can just call them and be like, hey, no war, please. But, um... Yeah, this one was uh, regrettable. Pa uh, I would pass on it. I, I would still, it's still going to be in the plus category for me because it was shot so well and the actors are really good. Even though Sam said that she was laughing the entire time at Robert Pattinson's French accent. Um, I thought that was funny that she said that. So I'm giving this movie a 55. Uh, I would give it a much lower grade had it not been such a well-shot and beautiful movie. Uh, but boy, oh boy, was this a snooze fest. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... No, I'm giving it a 45. Did I say 55? 45. It's a below 50, so it's a, it is a negative score for me. And uh, 45 for The King, which uh, was very passable. Just... just don't just do yourself a favor and 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 move on because there's plenty of Netflix movies that are worth watching, like this next one, Dolomite is my name. Dolomite is my name, and I forget who said this, and I I wish I I remembered so that I could like give the proper credit. I think it's the lights, cameras, barstool guys, uh, which by now you can tell I listen to their podcast a, a good amount. But they said, and I think it's what they said. They said, Dolomite is my name is what um, 
disaster artist should have been. And I'm like, yes, that you fucking nailed it because it was a movie about a guy trying to make a movie and all the struggles that he had making that movie. And but the but the performances in this movie were so much better. It was such a more likable character because he wasn't like a liar that like you know hated everyone or, or not hated everyone but like lied to everyone. And I know liars lie to everyone. Uh, but it just felt like this movie was a very likable movie. Eddie Murphy had a uh, very great performance. I thought uh, Titus had a great performance. Wesley Snipes was really good in his small role. Uh, Craig Robinson, Snoop Dogg. This movie was really good. I really enjoyed uh, the story of Rudy Ray Moore and what went into making this bad movie. That ended up being like a comedy when it wasn't supposed to be, but it was still supposed to have some comedy in it. So after watching Dolomite is My Name, Sam and I actually went on and watched Dolomite, which is on Amazon right now. So doing a two score for one review, the Dolomite movie is a piece of crap, but it is hilarious to watch. And Dolomite is My Name is so interesting that you're like, I have to check out this movie. Dolomite is My Name gets a 90. Straight up 90. Uh, I thought uh, the acting performances were phenomenal. And just the accuracy that went into making the movie. Really cool history lesson. Super cool movie. And I'm glad it got nominated. 90 for Dolomite is My Name. Dolomite, the actual movie. I'm giving it a 20. 20 because... Uh, I don't know, it was fast. It wasn't that long of a movie. Um, it was fun to watch because it was just so bad that, like, you know, typically a movie this bad, I'd give, like, a, a 5, 2, or a 6. But this one was so funny that I moved it up a little bit. But uh, hilarious movie. So I'm actually, I'll give it, a, give it a 25 for being hilariously bad. But, wow, Dolomite is my name. Really funny. And you're going to have to watch Dolomite afterwards and it's so is worth your time so uh 90 and a 25 from the Dolomite movies worth it and yeah for those of you wondering what Dolomite is about because I didn't really go into uh the thought of it Dolomite is a character that Rudy Ray Moore who was a black comedian made up and he wanted to make up a whole background to uh, the character, and so he had a writer, like um, you know, played by uh, Keegan Michael Key. He was great. Uh, that wrote a script, and he kind of and Dolomite directed it. Eddie Murphy, um, and and just everything that goes into this movie, it shows how much he cared about the people that were making the movie. He took a lot of risks, uh, put it on himself, and uh, and believed in himself, and made this movie. And it, it, he it makes him look super likable. I really hope Eddie Murphy gets nominated for the Oscar. Uh, if you know, and if I was cho choosing based on what I've seen, uh, my Oscar noms would go to uh, Eddie Murphy. I would include Joaquin Phoenix, obviously. Uh, I don't think I would go Roman Gr Griffin, Roman Davis, or Roman Griffin Davis, whatever his name is. Uh, I guess I would include Leo. I, I, I don't want to be that contrarian, but. Uh, you know, I would include him. He was great. I hope Adam Sandler gets in there. I would love it if the Sandman 
uh, got a, a nomination for Best Actor. Uh, but I definitely want to include Eddie Murphy. Definitely want to get him in there. So anyway, uh, that's the Dolomite review. we got a couple more here before I'm going to let you guys go, including three big ones. But before we get to the big three, uh, I'm going with Hobbs and Shaw, the most recent installment in the Fast and Furious movie, uh, or Fast and Furious franchise. I loved that they gave these guys their movie. They played off each other really well, The Rock and Statham. Uh, you know, I, I thought uh, Idris Elba was a good uh, bad guy in it. I thought he was good. It's crazy that they've gone from, like, stealing VCRs and shit to literally, like, superhumans. Uh, kind of funny. I thought the fight scene, the penultimate fight scene, was was okay. Uh, I thought the better stuff was throughout the movie, like the race scenes. I thought, uh, you know, the story was like pretty cool. Nothing, nothing fantastic. Uh, I, I would go see another one of these. Again, I'm always down to see the Fast and Furious movies, but uh, I don't know. This one wasn't as great. I give it a 72. Uh, again, I would see it again. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go see it in theaters, uh, especially with all the great movies that came out this year. I waited to, for it to come out on HBO. Uh, I like The Rock a lot. I love his character in this series. Uh, but outside of that, this movie was a little flat for me. And uh, I don't know. I would just rather go see other Rock movies. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. Um, I put it kind of in the middle of all of the Fast and Furious movies. You know, it's above Tokyo Drift. I, I would put put it ahead of Too Fast, but it's well below the original Fast Five. Um, you know, the movies aren't that great. So maybe it's like around four. Maybe it's like the fourth best one. Uh, I feel like I'm missing one of them, but uh, one of them that's really good. Four is okay. Um, I put it right around where, where Fast Fast and Furious is. But it's definitely below the, the original... Definitely below Fast Five. I would even put it below Fast Six. Um, and maybe even, yeah, and Furious Seven, too. I would have it below that one. Um, but yeah, so it's like a middle of the pack Fast and Furious movie. Uh, 70, what did I give it? Two? 72? I think that's a fair grade. All right. Last three. Gonna start with. Hmm, this is tough. This is a tough one. I'm gonna start with Knives Out. I just saw this in theaters the other day, and it is great. A modern whodunit directed by Ryan Johnson, the director of the most recent Star Wars movie, who got shit on a lot for his Star Wars movie. Uh, that being said, he did a great job in this one. And I, uh, I, I mean, I try to think of other mysteries, and I can't think of a better one than this one. It's, it's along the lines of... Um, of Inside, of Inside Man, and I thought that was a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen in theaters. This one, very interesting, but, and, and please skip ahead if you don't want spoilers, because i got to get into spoilers for this one. They give away the killer in the first 30 minutes of the movie, which I thought was a really interesting take and, and switcheroo that they did, because usually you're trying to figure out the killer the whole time, but 
This one, they give out the killer early, and you find out more and more details about what's going on. I didn't expect Anna de Armas to be the leading actress, too. I had no idea she was going to be such a big part of this movie, but that's how good they were in the marketing of scheme, uh, marketing of things, that it was like, okay, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got Michael Shannon, you've got, um, uh, who's Miami Vice? Uh, Don Johnson. Uh, you know, Christopher Plummer's still in this a good amount, even though the movie starts with him dying. Uh, I thought the cops were great. I forget. I, I think his name's like Stanwell or Stinwell, who plays the black cop with uh, Daniel Craig. He was in Get Out um, and uh, a couple other, uh, I forget the movie, uh, or Thank You for Holding. He was great. And, uh, and of course, you had... Uh, um, Catherine something from uh, the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. Even the young kid, I don't know his name, but he was good. But Chris Evans was great. The whole cast was done really well. They picked their cast perfectly. And it was just, it was really cool seeing, the beginning of the movie was really done really well, where you had, you know, them interviewing each character, finding out, you know, their side of the story wasn't exactly the truth. And that everybody kind of saw the night going differently. And then you saw the heist, or not heist, the murder scene. But Christopher Plummer knew he was going to die. So he staged kind of how Anna Diarmas could get away with the murder. Because he wanted to cover up for Anna Diarmas, who his nurse is the nicest person to him. Nicer than his whole family. Meanwhile he had just recently changed his will so that she would be getting all of the money. So she knew, he knew she had to get away with this uh, or else she wouldn't be able to keep the money and he wanted to like teach his family a lesson. Uh, that is the driving force in, in this whole movie though is the fact that the will is such a big part of it and the family is now after Anna de Armas who killed the grandfather accidentally or so we thought. Yeah, so you see, the whole big twist at the end of the movie had everything to do with Anna de Armas' character and that she thought she had killed him, but in reality, uh, she did the right thing and it was that uh, Chris Evans was messing with her medical bag so that she would kill him. Now, Chris Evans was the grandson and like the favorite that comes as a little bit of surprise, but at the same time, he was kind of a dick the whole movie, so you're expecting him to be a bad guy, but I guess it was too obvious. I don't know. The only knock I have on this movie, because I loved it. I loved the performances. I couldn't get enough of it. I didn't want the movie to end, which is, you know, you know you're having a good time when you have a long movie and you don't want it to end. Um, I loved the performance. I wanted more of the other actors. I Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't really in this movie a whole lot. And she was great. Same with Don Johnson. He, I needed more of him and, and Michael Shannon. And those guys, I felt like, weren't in it enough. And it was, it was a lot of Anna de Armas. One twist is, and, I, and, and this is my own fault. So I shouldn't deduct points for this. And I won't. They made it a little complicated at the end. And that's the only reason I'm deducting points. Is I felt like they had this whole movie where they're developing things slowly at a nice pace. And then at the end, it was like Daniel Craig figured out 14 things that we didn't know yet. And maybe that's my own fault. Maybe I'm a little too stupid for this movie, but I, I think it just went a little too fast. I was like, wait, wait hold on. I, I wanted to like rewind. 
And that's the only reason I deduct points from this movie, which I give a 95. I thought it was one of the coolest mysteries I've ever seen. I loved this movie. Uh, I have it right next to Jojo Rabbit for movie of the year. I gave Jojo Rabbit a 96. I gave Knives Out 95. Um, my only critique, you know, because it went really fast, I minus like two points there, and I'll minus another couple points for I just had a better ending. I thought Christopher Plummer being on his deathbed and not telling anybody would have been a cooler twist and that he knew he was going to die and he wanted somebody to write about his death being like, because Christopher Plummer's character is this great mystery writer. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be so cool if he was like writing this as it went along and was leaving it to everybody to check it out? But no, they didn't do that and it ended up just being Chris Evans switching out the bottles and uh, very sadly, you know, Christopher Plummer didn't have to die. He committed suicide knowing that he was going to die from the drugs being in the wrong bottle. But it turns out Anna de Armas gave him the wrong bottle. And then it seemed like she actually gave him the right one. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's you know, when after they looked at, like, the toxicology report. So it was kind of a bummer that, like, he didn't have to die. And I thought a cooler thing in this movie would have been if he was, like, writing his own death and Chris Evans knew about it the whole time and was trying to, like, hide some things and shield some things. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I again, I felt like, you know, that's with any mystery-type movie. It's like, you know, they make a draw to, like, the clue board. You know, being their house is like a giant clue board. They also, uh, you know, have a scene where, uh, you know, Christopher Plummer mentions fake knives versus real knives and, and knowing what the weight of them is. And that comes in late in the movie, too, when someone tries to grab a fake knife. The performances were out of this world. The movie was done so well. The music was great. The story was awesome. Characters were really cool and in-depth. Uh, big fan of, of this one, and I suggest it for anyone. It's right up there. It's going to be in my top five movies of the year. It's right now number two. And I got two more big ones, though. Two more. Maybe they could. someone can dethrone Jojo Rabbit. Maybe someone can beat out Avengers for favorite movie of the year. We'll see. So this one, I thought 95 was a excellent score for an excellent movie. Shout out, Knives Out. Great job, Ryan Johnson. Okay, moving on to Irishman. Uh, great mob movie. That's I mean it's as simple you know as I don't want to get too crazy about it. This was based on a book called I Heard You Paint Houses and retitled The Irishman for the movie. <clears throat> um, people joked that three and a half hours was going to be way too long. Shockingly, not too long. It was telling a really long story, and it was like multiple stories in one. I didn't want the movie to end. I was very intrigued. Felt like yes, it could have been a little bit shorter, but nothing crazy. You know, I thought it was a good movie. I, I Is it Casino or Goodfellas? No. But it's a really good mob movie. It's really interesting. Pacino is amazing. And, and, I, like, and I went into the movie and I'm like, okay, let's see how Al Pacino is and if he overacts or anything. No, I felt like he did a great job playing the Jimmy Hoffa character. I loved the way they shot this and that every time they introduce a character, they tell you how the character dies. I was like, that's interesting. But 
it just shows how many people died in the mob because of, you know, unnatural causes, let's just say. Really cool movie with that. Uh, that they, they did things differently. Um, obviously, the Tony the Pro angle was really cool because uh, a little story. My dad's buddy, rest in peace, Ross Provenzano, uh, claimed for years that his uncle had something to do with the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. And I always thought it was just him trying to toot his own horn. And he was like, no, 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 no. And, and, and Ross, yeah, you have to understand, Ross almost spoke. And you can every time he spoke, you couldn't hear what he was saying. It's like, no, you have no idea. Like, my, my uncle, Tony the Pro, he's a big deal. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. To a point where Tony the Pro, when he died, instead of, like, you know, moping around and, you know, feeling really sorry and everything, uh, Ross ran around the office holding the obituary in the New York Times, like, screaming, like, my uncle's in the Times! My uncle's in the Times! So he was like, you know, so that's a pretty cool story, uh, you know, for my dad's old work buddy, uh, rest in peace, in peace, uh, Ross. But uh, it turns out Ross was right. Tony LePro very much had something to do with the death and disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, the only thing I, I don't like about this movie is the de-aging stuff. They tried to make um, these guys look way too young. They should have just picked different actors to play them when they were younger. Like, I've seen Robert De Niro at 30. So don't try and make 70-year-old Robert De Niro look 30 because I know it's, he's not a 30-year-old. I, I, I was having a lot of trouble figuring that whole thing out. So the de-aging thing, I got I got minus some points for because, it, you know, that that just didn't look right, you know? And it's like, okay, I, I get it. You wrote this movie and you really wanted all the mob guys. You wanted Pacino, you wanted De Niro, you wanted Pesci. I get it. You like Scorsese wanted those guys in it, but you know, he should have made this movie 30 years ago. That's just, you know, and, but you know, he couldn't. So I get it. But I got to take away some points because there was a part where it's like, okay, this guy's supposed to be this badass who beats up everybody, and instead we're watching old man Robert De Niro try and beat up people and I'm like, this is this is horrible. This is Dolomite. I'm watching Dolomite right now. So that's, you know, I got to take off points for that. And I got to take off points for the fact that, you know, they did so much build up uh, for the characters and it didn't have too much of a payoff. Actually, no, that's that's not true. The payoff was the fact that, like, they built up the family bonds with these characters and, and uh, you know, never really, you know, he never really had a life with his family. and uh, and, and I get that. They did build this weird thing between Pesci and De Niro's daughter, though, and I was like wondering what's going to happen because she always disrespected him and she always liked the other guys that weren't Pesci. And I'm like, what's going to happen here? Is he going to like beat her up? Is like, is she going to see him do something? And for this inexplicable, re inexplicable reason, she just didn't like Joe Pesci in this whole movie, and they never really got to that. And it had to be just something. Related to the fact that, oh, she knows he's mob. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. She loved Jimmy Hoffa, but she hated this, you know. And, I don't know. I, I still thought this was a really good movie. I, uh, I give it an 84. I thought The Irishman was a little too long. It didn't have to be so long. I thought the de-aging thing and the fact that they had old men playing young men, uh, 
it's just a little too much, but it's a really cool story. It's not quite Goodfellas and Casino. Like that's, you know, but, but what are you going to say? Like, you know, not everything can be Goodfellas. It doesn't have to be. I thought Martin Scorsese did a great job. Uh, I thought De Niro did a good job, but I thought Pacino and Pesci were awesome. And uh, it was, it, it was funny at times. It was very entertaining. Um, the one thing I'll say is, you know, like, uh, I hate to pick on the Lights Camera guys because I love their podcast, but, you know, they keep on saying, like, oh, you know, like, you'll sit down and watch three hours of The Office, but you can't watch this. Let me defend people that watch three hours of The Office for a second. When you sit down and binge watch a show you've watched a hundred times, you're, you're binge watching because if you fall asleep, it's no big deal. You're binge watching because maybe you're on your phone for a little bit. Uh, you're watching those episodes because you want to laugh and not pay attention all that much. With The Irishman, you need full concentration. You need to sit down and say, okay, I want to be glued to the TV for the next three hours. Nobody says that watching The Office. It's two complete different watches. And we need to respect that. We need to respect that sometimes people watch things for different reasons. And that if you're going to watch a three and a half hour movie where you need my undivided attention, yes, it's hard to do that. Sam and I put that on at 8.30 on a Saturday night and said, okay, let's do this. Let's put this on. We can stay up late. We can watch a three and a half hour movie right now. Let's go. So that's what we did. Or it was a Friday night. Um, it was last Friday. So, But a great movie. 84. Love the performances. Uh, love the story. Really cool story. And uh, it, it, was a, it was funny at times. It's just a little too long, which we all knew. And um, the de-aging thing was hard to get by. So, so that's why it's, it's in there. And uh, finally, my last movie of the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. This has been a great pod. But we're going to finish up a marriage story. Movie I watched two nights ago. Only heard about this a week ago when the Globes nominations came out. And I was like, what is this marriage story about? And I watched the trailer. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, ScarJo. I think she's good. Uh, big fan of Adam Driver. I think he's an awesome actor. One of the, the better ones out there. Now he's starting to get some real Oscar love, you know, from previous movies. But for this, he's, he's going to be right there in it because I thought he had the best acting performance of the year. This movie, Marriage Story, covers two people that are in the beginning stages of her divorce. Uh, got together at a young age. She was a hotshot actress who kind of gave it up to go theater because he wanted to direct. Uh, he wanted to go direct theater in New York, so they left, you know, California. They got married in California. Their son was born in California, but they moved to New York, and that's where the beginning of their divorce was. Um, she had a pilot where, you know, she had to go to California. She brought her son with her for a couple weeks. He goes there and all of a sudden she wants the divorce in California. And that's kind of the big setup for a lot of this. Um, because I didn't realize it's such a big deal where you serve the papers and where you get your lawyers. But this is a, most of this movie where most of this divorce is about where things take place. Because he wants his life in New York, and he says, we're a New York family. We've always lived in New York. Yes, my son was born in California, but he's lived his entire life in New York. His friends are in New York. The only reason he goes to school here is because it was a temporary thing um, that, you know, in, 
uh, ScarJo kind of sandbagged him on. Now she served the papers. It seemed like he didn't really want a he didn't want a divorce. He said, "I don't want this," but she said, "I but you don't want to be married." So, without going too much into the details of the movie, like you see the struggles that go on between uh, a married couple going through a divorce and just how much kids have to do with a divorce. Like, yikes. Uh, but, unbelievable performances. Both Scarlett Johansson, this is the best acting performance I've ever seen from Scarlett Johansson and from Adam Driver. If both of them won for Best Actor and Best Actress, I'd, I'd stand and applaud. They were awesome. The amount of one shot, like one long shots that they did and I'm my brain is fried I've been talking for an hour and a half my brain is fried but the amount of times they did scenes where they didn't cut away they didn't break they used one long shot of ScarJo was insane she was so good she can cry and demand she was able to flip a scene from being pissed off one second to crying the next uh, to laughing about like an old story and she constantly kept this like this character in line of, of like this this woman who she felt like she had always been playing the wife and not like an equal part of this marriage and and she had just had enough and she also felt a little bad about the way that everything was going down in their marriage at the end and you could see the human side of things Laura Dern was her lawyer in this and she was great too she got to play the like upscale hot shot divorce lawyer she always knew the right thing to say to ScarJo. she had such like a, a very nice office um alan alda was uh adam driver's divorce lawyer and he kind of played like you know he had his cat in his office it was like a really dank room and and uh but it, you got to see from both of them as their divorce lawyers as like okay one guy's more of like down to earth just trying to get along type thing meanwhile laura dern is this shark who's like you know right at the very end of the movie for no reason at all she got them to change it from 55 from 50 50 to 55 45 something scar joe didn't want but she was like yeah i know but i don't want him bragging to his friends that he got 50 50 and it was like fuck you he wasn't gonna do that but that's just the character and she did such a great job of making you believe that she's this shark of a divorce lawyer and then he switches lawyers and gets Ray Liotta at the end of the movie too. And Ray Liotta was great at being uh, this like you know scummy, very expensive divorce lawyer who's just going to argue and throw the other person under the bus. But the performance by Adam Driver was something else. There's a screaming scene. You're going to see this a lot coming into the award season, where you're able to see them kind of unleash everything they've ever wanted to say, but at the same time see them regret saying it while they're saying it. Uh, again, with the long shots, you you get really amazing acting. I thought Adam Driver, I, I pumped up Joaquin Phoenix on the podcast, and I know Leo DiCaprio is great, but Adam Driver was had the best performance of any I've seen this year. And I'd, I'd be happy that if he wins Best Actor uh, for really everything that he's nominated for, because... Frankly, he was amazing. ScarJo was amazing. Laura Dern was great. Uh, I thought the movie itself was really, really good. Uh, it's sad. It's funny. 
it, it leaves you hopeful, but at the same time, like, crushed a little bit. Because you just see the ups and downs and how, like, you know, they were, Adam Driver cheated on her in this movie, and I feel like they just added that in late because they were like, it, it was so easy to side with him outside of the cheating thing. And he said, you know, oh, well, I only slept with her one time and it was after you had already kicked me out of the bed and we were sleeping separate and, and our marriage was over at that point. And, you know, not defending that or anything, but I totally could have, see, like, I see what he was like, you know, that he thought the marriage was over at that point. Uh, but outside of that, ScarJo's character was very much like the one pushing along the divorce. She went and saw like a thousand different divorce lawyers who then he couldn't hire legally because they had already met her. So they were like, nope, I can't hire. So he had to go to like the 15th best lawyer. Meanwhile, she got the best one. And she moved her kid out there, you know, and, and kind of just had a, such a leg up on Adam Driver in all these proceedings. And he just rolled with the punches so many times until he couldn't anymore. And he flipped out. He freaked out. He didn't want his marriage ending like this. It's not a happy ending. It's a sad ending. And you know what? It's still a great movie. I give Marriage Story a 98. I think it's the best movie of the year. Uh, the acting is the best I've ever seen. The story itself is sad. Um, the only thing I, I would like take away from it and it's really hard. Like I, I don't, I don't know what to take away from it. Is because I just think it was just so good, and the performances were great. I, the only thing I guess would be that I felt like the cheating thing, uh, it just didn't fit the character all that well. Because you know he didn't want anything to do with this woman, and I feel like they could have worked in the whole cheating thing a little bit better. They, I think they could have like explained that better because it was just okay, Scar Joe suspected him of it there's no evidence of it because he didn't like the girl he didn't want anything to do with her at work and he seemed so into ScarJo. yet he still did it and they didn't really explain why so i'm like okay well why that was it though that was the, my only complaint about the whole movie a great movie i think everybody should see it and that's why it's a 98 and it's my number one rated movie of the year it's not my favorite movie of the year because it's sad and because it's a hard watch but it is my number one rated movie of the year. And uh, I, I, got, I got nothing bad to say about Marriage Story. I hope Adam Driver and ScarJo both win. Best actor, best actress. Uh, I could see it winning for the best movie. I don't know the director's name, but I could see the director winning for best director. Hard to really say anything negative about this movie. So, uh, Anyway, thanks again for listening to the podcast. This is a very special episode with nine movie reviews and the Golden Globes nominee wrap-up. Uh, lots of fun to get to with my Christmas episode coming next week. End of year wrap-up after that. We got the Jake Awards. Uh, lots of fun to come in December. I hope everybody has a great Christmas season. And thank you again for listening to this week's episode of The Jake.